listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. If I haven't had the chance to meet you just yet, my name is, is Dan DeBell. I'm the lead pastor here at Abide Church. Man, so excited to have you with us today. Um, what an incredible season we're in in our church. What's been amazing is coming out of uh, a crazy year in 2020. The last year for our church has been every month, everything has been in the green. And uh, it's been amazing to see this healthy, steady growth as God is continuing to build his church. It's been amazing. I want to share a little bit, before we talk, dive into today's topic, I want to share a little bit of the vision behind our Sabbath Sunday uh, next week. You know, I had a, a pastor friend that was visiting last week, and we were sitting and talking with him after dinner, him and his wife. And we told him, hey, on 4th of July, we're, we're taking a Sabbath. Like, we're not doing church online. We're not doing church in person. And uh, I said, we're going to take it off, and we're going to rest. Our teams are going to rest. And him and his wife looked at each other like, why haven't we thought about doing that? That's a great idea. You know, we realized this. The first institution that God put in place was not the church. It wasn't the church. It was the family. The family. And I don't know if you notice this, but if you look around the world, you watch the news, you get on social media, you're going to find out really quick that the family is under attack because the devil knows that the family is the purest form of church. And if we would actually invest in our families as much as we might invest in the local church, that we would see a greater move in the kingdom than us gathering together. Because if I can be transparent and be real, there's been times where I've been in ministry for several years. There's been times where I've been in ministry and we had uh, ministry events on certain holidays or on a Christmas Eve or something like that. And to be honest with you, I just wanted to be home with my family. But I wasn't. I was at, I was at work and I was serving people, which is good but my heart wasn't in it. I was half-hearted just there because I was asked to be. And I thought to myself, man, if I'm feeling that as a staff person, how much more are my volunteers feeling that as well? And so I said, you know what? As certain times approach, there's gonna be opportunities for us to say, let's rest, let's do what God commanded us to do, take a Sabbath, it's healthy. Let's not put this extra pressure on ourselves, but let's invest in our families. And for me, here's what that means. That means no screens, no phone. That means literally turning my phone off so that I can be undistracted with my family. And I would encourage you to do the same. And watch what God will do if we will take a moment and invest in our spouse, in our families. And if you're in here and you say, well, I don't have, I don't have any family, or maybe I don't have any family close by, this is why it's important to be involved and to be here every single week. Look around. This is your family. So talk to somebody after service and be like, hey, can we get together on 4th of July? I promise you there's going to be people that will surround you and be with you and want to celebrate with you. Amen? It's going to be good. It's going to be good for our church. Here's what we're doing. Today, we're continuing our vision series. We're talking about how to look like Jesus. And in fact, our vision is pretty simple. Here to, here to buy church, we say we want to help people live, love, and look like Jesus. Well, if we're going to do that, we have to do it, right? If I'm going to help other people, I have to be doing it myself. And so we talked about last week, we talked about how to live and how to love. To live like Jesus is to serve like Jesus. To love like Jesus is to give but what does it mean to look like Jesus? We're going to talk about that here today. Um, you know, God's word challenges us in 1 John 2, 6. It says this, if we say we abide in Jesus, we ought to walk just as he walked. So it can be great. We can say uh, we're abide church, or I'm, we can, I can say personally, I'm abiding in Jesus. But if I'm not walking like Jesus walked, then I'm not actually abiding. Then I'm just fooling myself. Right? In the book of James, that's what it says. My religion is worthless if I'm just all talk and no 
action. I've got to put some feet to my faith at some point and walk out what I say I believe. And that's what it means to look like Jesus. But the first thing is this. I think a lot of times, and I've been guilty of this, a lot of times one of the greatest cop-outs for living righteously or for walking by faith when it comes to believers is this, that we will look at Jesus and we'll look at his life and we'll say, well, that was Jesus. You know, Jesus did that. You know, we don't really, um, I can't really relate to that. He did that in that situation, but I don't know if I can. But the issue with that is, what did Jesus say? Follow me. Let me show you. And that's what he says to us today. He said that to his disciples. And literally, disciple is, um, in context, is to be following so closely behind your rabbi that the dust from his feet are getting on your feet in your sandals. In the, in, in literally, in the times of when Jesus was here, that's what it would mean. I'm going to follow my rabbi so closely that even before the dust settles behind him, that it's getting on my feet. I'm going to do exactly what he says to do. And here's what God's word says. The first thing we have to realize, if we're going to look like Jesus, the first point, if you're taking notes, is this. God desires you to look like Jesus. He desires it. That's his plan for you. His plan is not, hey, I'm going to get you saved, and someday you're going to get to heaven, and it's going to be great. No, he's got a lot for you to do here on earth. He's got a lot for us to do. But in order to do what he's asked us to do, I've got to allow some changes to take place in me. Let's look at some scriptures. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, look at this, conformed to the image of his Son. He predestined what? Even before time. His, his goal, before anything, he said, I need the people that I've created to what? Be conformed to the image of my son, to be growing into my son, to be growing so that as they go, people say, they look just like Jesus. They talk just like Jesus. They serve just like Jesus. They give just like Jesus would. Let's look at another verse right here, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him, capital H, as we are changed into his glorious image. The Christian life is not a static thing. And that's where sometimes in America it can be easy to be static, right? It can be easy to just to cash it in. It can be easy to be, I read my Bible. Sometimes I pray when, you know, things get really bad. But am I growing into Christ? Am I maturing in my faith? Because if I am, I should be seeing change. If there's no change in my life, if there's no moments in my life where I say, man, I used, even a year ago, I used to do that. I used to say that. I used to be like that. But now I am different. If that's not happening on a regular basis, then I've stopped growing. And that's not the goal. The goal is growth. The, the goal is never, I have arrived, okay? I've been in church for 40 years. I think I know, all right? I've arrived. I'm good. No, that's never, we don't see that in God's word at all. The goal is to continually be growing, being changed into his glorious image. But we have a part to play. And here's where we see it in Romans 12 too. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have a part to play. The Holy Spirit will come in at salvation, and he's going to cut out and change some things in my life. He's the one that gives us the want to to walk like Jesus. However, if I'm not doing my daily disciplines, 
I'm not equipping the Holy Spirit to work in my life. Everyone wants to sit back and say, well, if the Holy Spirit wants to, and they don't put any responsibility on themselves. That's not accurate. We have a part to play. What does it say? Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I renew my mind? Whose job is that? That's my job. (laughs) I have to do that. So here's what it shows us. Every day, either I'm being conformed to the world or I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. So today, what will I choose to do? Will I choose to be conformed to the world, meaning it's okay, the sin, the lost people, the things that are coming into our culture, the things that are attacking the next generation at a rapid rate that are coming for our kids that they say is okay but is totally opposite of this, oh, that's okay. Either I will say it's okay by being conformed or I will say, you know what, every day I'm going to choose to abide, which means I'm going to get in here, I'm going to pray, I'm going to worship, I'm going to see what God's word has to say about what's going on in my life and in this world, and by doing that, I'm going to be transforming myself by renewing my mind. You know what renewing your mind means? It's giving your brain a bath. Okay? We used to do this in kids' ministry all the time. We'd take, we'd have a little fake brain, and we'd get it out, and we'd have it, and, and we'd talk about how as you go through life, this brain gets gunked up. We get some dirt out, put some worms on it. You know, I get make some, like, fake cat litter. I get the cat litter, and I put little Tootsie Rolls in it, and I put that on the brain. It's just like this thing. This is what happens. You go through life. And the world happens, right? You watch this news, you watch, you hang out with this friend, and there's more junk put put on your brain. Our job is to give my brain a bath. How do I do that? I don't literally take my natural brain out, obviously, right? We got to clarify that with kids, maybe for some of you as well. But um, don't take your real brain out, okay? In the spiritual realm, what do I do? I wash it with the word. And when I wash my brain with the word, what does it do? It renews. What does it renew? It makes it new again. My spirit doesn't have to be renewed. My brain, my mind has to be renewed every day. My spirit is made new at salvation. My brain has to be renewed every day. How do I do that? By giving my brain a bath with God's word. And by doing that, I will be transformed into what? The image of Christ. I now can represent him well. I can look like Jesus. Amen? See how simple it is? God's word is so good. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's a couple ditches with this. A lot of times, I think in the modern church, we will take this and we will say, this is true, but this is going to take you years. You're going to have to Go back into your past, dig up a bunch of stuff that happened to you when you were a kid, come to grips with it, and then move on. But I would challenge us not to shortchange the Holy Spirit and his power. I've seen too many and heard too many salvation stories. And you could talk to any of our our missionaries, and they'll tell you the same thing. Too many who people who were addicted to whatever, to all, all of it, who were addicted who were lost, but they came to Jesus. And when they came to the altar, they emptied their pockets of all the drug paraphernalia. They emptied their pockets of their alcohol. They emptied their pockets of all of the junk that was keeping them in sin. And they walked away, and they never touched it again. And anyone in their natural mind would say, that's impossible. 
We don't operate in our natural mind. <laughs> we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. It takes some faith to do that, but it takes me truly, what are we just saying about it? Surrendering and becoming a new creation. All things have become new, not some things, all things. If we'll walk in what God's word says, if we will just believe, if we just read and believe, our lives can be drastically changed. God desires you to look like Jesus. Man, we're just in point one. Point number two is this. Here we go. God desires you to look like Jesus in power. God desires you to look like Jesus in power. There's a couple specific things. Power is the first one. God desires you to look like Jesus in power because power is undeniable. When I see someone in need and they come to me and they ask me for prayer because they are sick, they have a pain in their body and I lay my hands on them, and they're healed, the pain is gone, who gets the glory? God. Without power, the church, the local church, is just a, a good social club of morally good people. Without power, we might as well just get together and watch movies or hang out, have something in common, play some golf, I don't know, whatever you want to do. Without power, we're playing church games, if I can be real. Let me show you in Scripture. God desires you to look like Jesus by walking in power and authority. The first one is this. We look at this verse quite a bit. Luke 10, 19. Jesus said, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. That's demonic powers. It's a representation of demonic powers. And over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's true for you today. If you're a believer in Christ, you have access to this. I'll, I'll say it different. You're called to this. You, you have authority over all the power of the enemy. And if you, if you second-guess that, go back a few weeks. I did a message called Into the Storm, and we talk all about that. Let's move on to the next one. Mark 16, 17 through 18. And these signs will follow those who believe. Everyone say believe. Say it like you mean it. Believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. He's going to give you a heavenly language. They will take up serpents. There it is again. That's, that's us binding spiritual uh, enemies. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. God's desire for you, this is part of our, uh, our great commission. His desire for you is to operate in power, in power. Let's look at this next one. John 14, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Stop there for a second. He will do also. If I'm doing the works of Jesus, who do I look like? Jesus. I'm bearing his fruit, not my fruit. Do you see how God's word and the apostles confirmed you are called to be transformed into looking like Jesus, but Jesus himself said, when you, uh, here it is again, the key word, he who believes in me, he will do the same works. Now let's continue. It gets crazy here in a second. And greater works than these he will do. Greater works. That's a message in itself. But I would challenge you to, to just make a side note right there. And to ask yourself. You don't have to raise, I'm not have anyone raise their hand. But to ask yourself, do I believe that for my life? Do I believe that for my life? He says, you will do this because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, 
I will do it. Do we realize the, <laughs> the, the potential of this last verse? And again, do I believe that? If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Here's how I would put it. Prayer, and you can put up this quote, prayer offered in the name of Jesus in alignment with God's will has the full weight of his authority behind it. Prayer offered in the name of Jesus, what Jesus just said, right? If you ask anything in my name, his name, I will do it. In alignment with God's will, what's his will? It's his word. He's a good father. He didn't say pray according to my will. It's a mystery. Hope he can figure it out. No, he said pray according to my will, which is my word. If you'll do that, he has the, we have the full weight of his authority behind our prayers. So if I want my prayers to be effective, it's really pretty simple. I need to be abiding, which is seeking after Jesus every single day. And when I pray, I pray in the name of Jesus, not because that's what we're supposed to do. I pray in the name of Jesus because I believe that when I speak this name in authority, that every knee has to bow to it, that every spiritual enemy will run from it, that as I speak it, mountains move, miraculous things take place. Too many years of my life, I thought, well, I, I pray in the name of Jesus because my pastor prayed that way, my parents prayed that way, but then eventually I figured out, why do I pray that way? Because things change when I speak his name. Not my name, not how great my prayer was worded. No, when I speak his name in alignment with his word, things change. The miraculous takes place. Again, you can ask our, our ministry partners over here that just got off the mission field. <laughs> miraculous things. God desires you to look like Jesus because you're walking in power and in authority. But here's the thing. Where does the power come from? Where does it really come from? Acts 1.8. I think this is oftentimes where we overlook it because we speak on those other verses and we teach on them, but then we don't dive a little deeper and say, how do I access it personally? Acts 1.8 says this, you shall receive power, everyone say power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is Jesus. And here's what he's saying. If we back up a little bit in the, in the timeline, Jesus has been crucified, put in the grave, raised to life, he goes and he sees his disciples. And in this moment of seeing his disciples, he, the, the word says that he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. That is the moment of the disciples' salvation. He breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit on the inside, just like we do at salvation. When I put my faith in Jesus, I have the Holy Spirit on the inside. But immediately after that, Jesus says, now wait, wait in the city until you receive the gift from my Father. Wait. Well, if they had all they needed at salvation, why does Jesus say wait? Because the power had not yet come. The power, they had not been baptized in power just yet. So here's what happens. They had to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is a, this is a series in itself. In fact, several months ago, I did a series on the Holy Spirit if you want to dig a little deeper, go back and listen to that series on our podcast on YouTube. But let me say it like this. My salvation process, if you want to call it that, I have a moment where I put my faith in Jesus and I receive his spirit, the Holy Spirit, on the inside of me. Now we can walk together. 
But there's a second step. Jesus also said, well, we need to be baptized. What is baptism? Baptism is the wedding ring of my covenant with God. Baptism, this, this ring right here doesn't make me married to my wife, Leslie. The covenant that I made in front of witnesses makes me married. If I take this ring off, I'm still married. But what does this ring do? It says, hey, everybody else, I'm serious about my covenant relationship with my wife. That's what water baptism is. I'm showing you what took place on the inside. It's an outward expression. But then after that, what do we see? Time, all, I, mean, I can show you so many times in the New Testament where they say, now we, must, we have to go because the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon them. Meaning this, there was a baptism in the Holy Spirit that had to take place in order to receive power. So here's what Jesus says. He breathes on them, receives the Holy Spirit, wait in the city. Wait in the city. Because he says, wait until you receive the fullness. So I received the uh, Holy Spirit on the inside of me. Man, I'm getting into a totally different message. Somebody needs to hear this today. Imagine I have a glass in my hand. At salvation, I put water in this glass. That water represents the Holy Spirit. That's what I look like. I have a glass. I have the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, that water. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is me taking that glass and putting it into a river of living water and then taking my hand off of it. <laughs> Meaning this, I'm surrendering my life to the river of living water and where the living water, which is God, where he wants to move me, direct me, and guide me to go, I will go as the glass in the river. There's a, I have, I am, baptism means immersed into. It's not just water baptism, it means immersed into. So I receive Holy Spirit. But then God's word says, Jesus will come and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I'm taking that glass, I'm putting it in the river of living water and letting him guide and direct my life. So here's what God shows us then. If he says, wait until you receive power, he's showing us that you cannot carry out the mission of God without Holy Spirit power. Because after he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, he then gives them the great commission. He says, wait until. But then he's also instructing them to, to, to go and to disciple people. But not until you receive the fullness of my power. So here's what that shows me. We cannot make disciples, build a church, see the sick healed, see the addicted set free, see people move from sin to righteousness without Holy Spirit power. If we do it on our own, we are laboring in vain. That's what the scripture says. I can't even, we can't, we can build churches, but if I'm not operating in power, God's word shows us. <laughs> I won't step on anybody's toes, but again, it's a, we're building clubs. What difference then we, are we then to any other God? You ever thought about that? If there was a group of Muslims who outside their meeting said, hey, they said, hey, we have free donuts and coffee inside. Come in and check it out. Right? I'm not against free donuts and coffee. We, have, we had that here today. But if that was their motivation to get you there, what would it show me? Why would I serve your God? <laughs> There's no power there. Your God is just somebody you're talking to. <laughs> but God created us, the body of Christ, to have power. Why? It's undeniable. 
He is the God, the only God. Jesus is the way, the only way to him. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, we can change things that don't make sense in the natural, but in the supernatural, they are possible. Why? Because of him and his power. Do you see what I'm saying? Otherwise, we're just like everybody else, and the world doesn't need another church to be like everybody else. The the world needs a church that is salt and light, that when people walk in, they actually see some change in their life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's continue on here. We cannot look like Jesus without Holy Spirit power. So God has made available to each and every one of us supernatural power to overcome the world and to live a victorious and transformed life. That power is available to you, every believer. It's not just reserved for pastors or church leaders. It's available to you because Jesus said, you go and make disciples. We made churches, we made churches to, to make disciples. That's, that's great. God, God put that in place. However, Our job is to make disciples as well. As individuals, we have to go. We have to carry the power with us. Specifically, this power comes from the baptism in the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and a personal prayer language, praying in tongues. And I know as soon as I say that, some of you got a little shiver in your spine, like, oh, no, I've seen too many weird things on that, okay? One too many YouTube videos or one too many services you were trapped in where things got real weird, right? (laughs) Why is this guy barking like a dog over here? What is happening the baptism in the Holy Spirit and praying in, the, in, in praying in tongues, it doesn't make you weird. It makes you like Jesus. It makes you powerful like Jesus. Let me show you a few verses here. In Ephesians 6, 18, I don't have the slides for these. Ephesians 6, 18, this is the end of the armor of God. Here's what it says. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. A lot of people, a lot of uh, Christians are walking around thinking they've put on the whole armor of God, but they forgot one part. Pray in the Spirit, uh, not just sometimes, at all times and on every occasion. It should be an everyday thing. That's what Scripture says, right? 1 Corinthians 14.5, the Apostle Paul, he says what? I wish you all spoke with tongues. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote that, but who breathed that? Holy Spirit. This is Holy Spirit breathed and then written down. I wish you all spoke with tongues. Then he takes it a step further in verse 39, 1 Corinthians 14, 39. Do not forbid to speak with tongues. Whoopsie, right? (laughs) I've heard a lot of teaching that says, don't be doing that. That's reserved for them weird people over here. But I would challenge you to go back, listen to that Holy Spirit series that I did. I make it, I, I teach it as plainly as I can. And I'm going to show you how simple it is in that series. It's not weird. It's not flaky. It doesn't turn people away. But Scripture says it's actually a sign for unbelievers. But we got to read this thing to know what the truth is, right? Not to believe some YouTube videos or somebody's representation. As always, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Amen? Last point is this. God desires you to look like Jesus in purity. In purity. Everybody wants that power. (laughs) but purity is where the rubber meets the road. Righteousness, walking in right standing. I would say this, not just in recent times, but throughout all of time, too many Christians, too many believers have become okay with having sin in their lives. Does that mean that I don't stumble from time to time? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about knowingly, willingly living in sin. When I know God's word, when I am in church, and I know that there's verses, I know that there's promises from God that are in contradiction to my actions, but I do it anyway, that's not okay. That is not okay. 
according to Scripture. Too many people, they identify as the sinner after they've been saved. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, at one point you were, but not anymore. You're now a saint. You are called to righteousness. God's Word says, now be holy as I am holy. That means God doesn't look at you and see a sinner. The devil looks at you and calls you a sinner. God looks at you and calls you by your name. Righteous, holy, beautifully made, masterpiece. That's what he sees when he looks at you. He doesn't see your sin anymore. That's what his word says, separated as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't see that. Too many people say, well, me and God have an agreement. We have, we have things kind of worked out. I talked to a guy just a few weeks ago. This is what he was telling me. I, well, in my belief, and he believes in Jesus, but he doesn't know, his, he doesn't know the word. In my belief, you know, we kind of have things worked out. There's grace for that. Is there grace? Absolutely. And I think God's grace is so much bigger and grander than we can ever comprehend here on this earth. But grace without truth is not Jesus. Grace without truth is not Jesus. Why? Because when Jesus, when, when he was here, what happened? They brought the woman who was caught in adultery, and they throw, him at, throw her at him, his feet. And what happens? He begins to write in the dirt, all this whole thing. Finally, everyone leaves. He says, the first one with, that doesn't have sin, throw the first stone, and they can't do it. And so he looks up, and there she is. And he says, where are your accusers? And she says, Lord, there are none. And this story gets me every time because Jesus, his response is grace and truth. His response is, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. We love the, I don't condemn you, but the same Jesus in the same breath said, now go and sin no more. Meaning what? Be changed, daughter. I have better for you. You don't need this life. I have better for you. And that's what he says to us today. Will you trust me enough to walk in purity? Because I have better for you if you will. Power, yes, but I can't have power without purity. I can't, have, I can't expect God to use me to fullest capacity without purity in my life. When we say those things, well, there's grace for that. I make all these excuses. Me and God have an agreement. Can I be real? We dishonor the Spirit of God by saying that. We dishonor Him. The Word says that we grieve the Holy Spirit by saying that. When we say that, we're downplaying and we're neglecting the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the purest forms of his power is when he what? Makes us that new creation that we talked about. How can I lay it down and walk away free? Because of the Holy Spirit's power. Don't downplay it. Believe it. Let's have the faith to believe that we can take God at his word and see it come to pass. Amen? We were a sinner. God never intended us to stay there. And here's what happens. Too many, times, too many times we try to focus on not sinning, but we're focused on the wrong thing. I'm going to go quick here. We're focused on the wrong thing. Several years ago, when I graduated from college, I graduated with a criminal justice degree. Okay? <laughs> it may surprise some of you. Criminal justice degree. In that time, I got to go down to Oklahoma City and do some defensive driving. We talked, we'd learned how to how to chase cars, how to go through the course, how to, you know, not hit the cones. Well, the problem was the first thing you had to do is you had to go through this course in a certain amount of time without hitting any cones. And if you hit one cone, you were disqualified. You failed the course. And so I went through the first five, six times. I hit the same cone every time, same cone. 
I was so mad. By the fifth, sixth time, I'm just, the instructor's in the car with me, and I'm just furious. I'm like, how do I keep hitting that cone? Like, it's consuming my thoughts at this point. And he says, what are you looking at? When we go around this corner, what, what are you looking at? I said, well, I'm looking at the cone because I'm trying not to hit the cone. I'm trying to line up my car so I don't hit the cone. And he says, <laughs> he was kind of upset with me. He said, we don't, don't look at what you're trying not to hit. Look at where you're going. He says, if you'll look where you want to go, you'll miss the cone every time. Sure enough, next time through, I didn't look at the cone. I was looking, I'm going to finish this turn. I was looking down the straightaway at the next part. I stayed focused there, and I missed it. Didn't hit the cone. I never touched the cone for the rest of the, the next 30 hours that we did that. Never hit it again. Why? My focus was on where I want to go, not on the cone. But this is what we do with sin. I wake up, and I got that cone of sin right here. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin today. I'm going to be good. I'm not going to talk bad about my spouse. I'm not going to lust today. I'm not going to look at that today. I'm not going to be mean to that coworker today. I'm not going to whatever, okay? And we hit it every day. And we're consumed with it. Ah, oh, just why can't I get past this cone? Because you're looking at the cone. Why are, we, why are we fixated on sin? Here's what God's Word says, Hebrews 12. Therefore, we're surrounded by the so great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us. How do I lay aside the weight to run my race well? Looking unto Jesus. If I'm looking where I want to go, I'll miss the cone every time. If I'm focused on the cone, I will sin every time. God's word is good. Let me leave you with this. A lot of times we get caught up in this purity and we talk about we talk about how we have grace for that. But I'm gonna skip, I'm gonna skip ahead here. In Romans six, I gave you some verses, Romans six, eleven through eighteen. I would challenge you to read those verses today. That's your homework. Read those verses. But there's one verse in here in particular that I want to talk about. Sorry, I'm I'm messing up my slides in order. He says this in Romans six, fifteen. He says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, which is what? All the rules. Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? (laughs) He says, of course not. (laughs) Exclamation point. No. What are you talking about? It's verse 15. Verse 16 says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? If I say I'm a Christian, but I'm continuing to, again, knowingly, willingly live in sin, guess what? I'm a slave to sin, and God never called me to be a slave to sin. He said, you're a slave to righteousness and right living. We're called to walk in power and in purity. Why? Because the Christian life, don't want to burst your bubble, but it's not about you. It's not about me. Because there's somebody that God put in your life that needs you to walk and to look like Jesus. And he put them in your life because he's, he said, steward them well, daughter. Steward them well, son. I gave you that coworker so that you would steward them to me. But when we become okay with being conformed to the world, without even knowing it, we're turning them away from Jesus. Because why would they want to be like us if we're just like them? 1 John 2.10 says this, He who loves his brother abides in the light, 
and there is no cause for stumbling in him, meaning this, he does not cause others to stumble. If I say I abide in Jesus, then I must live above reproach. You can follow me day, night, in public, in private, but you can look at my life, and there should be nothing in there that would cause you to stumble. Well, it may not be sin for me, but if it led someone else to sin, Jesus had some things to say. Matthew 18, 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That should put a little fear of the Lord in you. That's healthy. That's the beginning of what? Wisdom. One of these little ones, we're not just talking about kids. Little ones, original language is what? It's new believers. It's the spiritually immature believers who are growing. If I cause them to stumble, but we're called to mature in faith and to lead others into maturity as well. What leaders do in moderation, followers do in excess. What leaders do in moderation, followers do in excess. So if I'm called to disciple people, if I'm called to lead people to Jesus, if I have people looking to me that maybe I don't even know that they're looking to me to see who this Jesus guy is, what I allow in my life in moderation, not sin for me, followers do in excess. This is why my, my wife Leslie and I, we don't drink any alcohol. If I say you have a casual drink from, that, from time to time, are you going to hell? Absolutely not. That's not a, in God's word. Drunkenness is a different thing. But we can't afford, as spiritual leaders, me and Leslie, we can't afford for someone to look at my life, and this alcohol is one example, and to have a casual drink, but for them to be okay and introduced and to fall into drunkenness, and God forbid what happens after that. Families ruined lives lost. I can't afford. Why? Who's that on? Well, they took the drink. What did Jesus say? Who, who said it was okay? I can't afford that. I won't. Alcohol is one example. Okay, I'm not picking on that. I'm just saying, though. This is why we have all of our volunteers sign an honor code. Why? Because we're, we're caught up in legalism. I've had people say that. We're caught up in legalism. We got all these rules. If you're going to be here, you got to follow these rules. <laughs> no. Here's the, here's the honor code. It's an invitation to go to another level spiritually. That's what it is. That's what, that's what Jesus' grace and truth is. It is an invitation. The grace of Jesus is not a pass to continue sinning. It is an invitation to live righteously. It's an invitation to say, come on. If you're going to follow me, let's go. Follow me. It's not so we would rule your lives. Here's what it is. Our world needs us to go to another level spiritually. Our world needs people who will walk in supernatural power and in supernatural purity. Because when this world gets dark, there has to be some actual light and some actual salt in this world. And it won't come without power and without purity. That's what God's word has to say. So what does it mean to look like Jesus? Power, purity relying on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit who guides us, who directs us, who gives us the power to do what you've asked us to do. And God, I pray that today you would help us live that out. This week, help us live that out. If there is some impurity in our life, knowingly, if we've been knowingly, willingly living in sin, help us identify it, help us defeat it, and help us walk in purity this week. If there is a situation where we need to walk in Holy Spirit power, I pray that you would empower us, Holy Spirit, to do what you've commanded us to do, to give us the authority to go to work on your behalf and to steward your kingdom well. 
We thank you for it. We expect great things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.